0: Welcome to episode number five, Building Optimal Radio. I'm Jared Gossett, your host. Today, we're exploring a few innovations in building science, as well as some myths that are still too commonly believed. Also, a few simple ideas to create more energy-efficient builds. One of the ideas, which I won't steal our guest's thunder and give away here, I think is absolutely brilliant. I'm going to be looking at it for my own business along with his others. But this one in particular is exceptional. Our guest who's going to illuminate all of this for us is Peter Yost. Peter is Principal and Vice President of Technical Services with Building Green Inc. in Brattleboro, Vermont. For those of you who aren't familiar with buildinggreen.com, the team over there are some of the top thought leaders in the industry for energy efficiency, wellness in the home, and really everything building science. Peter has been building, researching, teaching, writing, and consulting on high-performance buildings for more than 30 years. His expertise ranges from construction waste management and advanced framing to energy efficiency and building durability. Peter has made significant contributions to the work of many leading building organizations and initiatives, including the NAHB Research Center, the Building Science Corporation, and many, many more. Peter was the principal author of the NAHB Advanced Green Building Science Course Materials and co-author of the US GBC ReGreen Workshop Curriculum. Peter is also currently the technical director for greenbuildingadvisor.com and somehow amongst all of this in his spare time is a lecturer at Yale University's School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Also an instructor for Boston Architectural's College of Sustainable Design Certificate Program, a research associate of the University of Massachusetts Department of Building and Construction Technology Program, and US GBC lead AP. Peter was recently awarded the NAHB Green Building Educator of the Year and Seventh Wave Educator of the Year. That was a mouthful, but as you can see. Peter knows a thing or two about today's topic. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you use, be it iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever one. This way you get notifications of our new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Building Optimal, or Instagram, at Building Optimal. Send us your feedback there. Tell us what type of content you want to hear, and we'll make it happen for you. Enjoy. Enjoy. Peter, tell us a little bit about buildinggreen.com and what you guys do. Sure. So Building Green is a
1: consulting and an online information company. We've been publishing monthly on the built environment and environmental impacts for over 25 years. Here at Building Green, I head up the consulting services side of the business, where we do a variety of consulting for product manufacturers, government agencies, homeowners, architectural firms anywhere from meeting facilitation, which Nadav, the president heads up, to building science work that that I do. You guys
0: release each year a top 10 building products list. You guys have released your 2017 list. I think it would be valuable for the audience to hear a little bit about that list you guys put together for 2017 and what you guys are most excited about in terms of new products in the industry. Each year,
1: throughout the year, as we're reviewing products for our Green Building Products Directory, we have the editors pick 10 of the standouts for the year. We do a presentation each year. It's almost always Alex Wilson, who's our founder, and Brent Ehrlich, who is our leading products editor. They, in cooperation with other uh, staff here, talk about products and pick ones that we think are standouts. And so it's pretty anticipated each year at the USGBC Green Build Conference. But yeah, I'm going to talk about three specifically from our 2017 selections. The first one is actually not from that list, but it's a product I've been working with lately. It's Kingspan's Cool Therm Phenolic Foam Rigid Insulation. You know, there's a lot of types of materials you can use for doing exterior insulation on a wall assembly or for rigid insulation, say, in an attic from the interior. And Cooltherm is interesting because the phenolic foam has really, really tiny pores. So the blowing agent, the smaller the pockets of gas, the better insulation you get. So Cooltherm is actually about R8 per inch, among the highest you can get for rigid insulation. The other reason it's interesting to us is because as a rigid insulation, it has a zero ozone depletion number It has a really low global warming potential number, about one, because the uh, blowing agent is pentane or pentane-based. This is kind of confounding to me, but this foam, which is, you know, a petroleum-based product with pentane, which is flammable as the blowing agent, it has really good fire resistance. And so, you know, to have something that's R8 per inch, really good environmental numbers coming from the, the blowing agent's, and then to be naturally flame retardant, I say naturally, but maybe inherently flame retardant, that's a good combination of properties. So just recently, I thought, well, how can you really make a fire-resistant rigid insulation out of pentane and petroleum products? So I torched it with a propane torch. And sure enough, it charred, which it's supposed to do, but it never caught on fire. And the smoke production was really, really low. So pretty excited about that as a option for green builders. The second product is a little more mundane, but particularly in commercial buildings, when you put steel framing systems right on the uh, slab, you know it means that your gypsum wallboard is oftentimes in direct contact with the slab, and then if there's any type of water spill or leak, you can trash an awful lot of gypsum wall board because the gypsum board is, is right down in contact with the floor level. So there's a product called VersaDry track system, and it's really clever. It's simply a track system at the bottom of the framing that acts as sort of a hidden baseboard. And so it lifts the drywall about the same height as plastic plastic, Baseboard so that the plastic baseboard covers it, but that VersaDry track lifts that drywall about two and a half inches up off the ground. It means two things. It means that the gypsum wallboard is protected by even a two inch flood on that floor level. And then, secondly, because it's a solid track at the bottom, you know, in a lot of buildings like hospitals and so on that have hallways with buffers used, you can. Trash by bumping the buffer right into the sidewall really easily because, in between the studs, the bottom track is not very tall and pretty weak. So, this two and a half inch tall VersaDry makes the whole wall at the base stiffer so that it can't be damaged by people bumping into the baseboard, buffers bumping in. So, it's a really clever, simple product that actually has a a lot of durability implications. And then the third one. Where's the best place to put ground-mounted PV? Here in Vermont, we even put them in the middle of cow pastures. But there's a company called SunPower Carport Solutions. It's really elegant. These PV panels and the systems are designed to provide carport coverage for parking spaces. So we have square miles across the United States of blacktop parking lots. And if you put in PV panels with the SunPort power system, um, you create car ports and that shades the car spaces below and means that the PV panels are put in an area that's cleared and open anyway. The other thing is it makes it really easy to service the systems, you know, to clean the panels, to keep them at a, a full production or to service any component of the PV system. So we're pretty excited about a clever combination of carport coverage at parking lots and PV production so those are three that stood out this year
0: okay great those sound like fascinating products to look into and to research and full disclosure I actually was not until you mentioned them familiar with any of the three so I need to uh, I need to get with the program I think yeah they're pretty easy to
1: look up they all have their own websites but we review products all day long and all year long and so these jumped out at us this year.
0: And what I'll do in the show notes for the episode, I will link to y'all's top 10 for 2017 and then also to each of these three products that you outlined so that we can do a little more research on them. Excellent. Here's a question that always is of interest to me because I've got an interest in for our builds, how do we create optimal performance within that particular home, but I always feel, and maybe this is a little too much of a uh, bias that I have, but I feel like sometimes incorporating some of the top ideas are a little bit in conflict with cost, which obviously builders are always so cognizant of. So I preface this question with that just to ask, what are some of the biggest building performance myths that you still see builders believing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I worked at the NEHB Research Center in, in Maryland for a number of years and worked with builders all the time on cost effective, higher performance solutions. But in terms of myths, there's three that jump out at me. You know, we do so much wood stick framed construction. I think that the advanced framing techniques, you know, like two foot on center, stacked framing, two stud corners, all those that take out low R-value wood and replace it with higher R-value insulation, those techniques of advanced framing have been around since probably the 50s or the 60s. And yet, repeatedly, I get builders saying, oh, no, 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 you, know, you can't take out that wood. You know, For instance, two-foot-on-center walls are wavier than 16-inch-on-center walls. How straight the wall is is not a function of how often you frame. It's a function of how straight the framing is. So if you have wavy walls, it's more about the quality of your lumber than it is the spacing of that lumber. And particularly when you go to 24-on-center, you're more likely to go to 2x6. And 2x6s are inherently less bowed or warped or twisted than 2x4s. So I've always thought it was kind of funny that we have a myth of 24-on-center walls are wavier than 16-on-center. And it's just not true. You can incorporate all of the advanced framing techniques build a less expensive wall and have it perform structurally just as well as a 16 on center wall. So the other one that's pretty common is wow, you don't want to build the building too tight because the walls need to breathe. You know, I get this locally all the time and it's not the walls that need to breathe. If we need to have anything breathe, <laughs> well, it's the occupants inside. So making a building more airtight does not inherently create indoor air quality problems. in in cold climates, 25 to 40, actually across all climates, 25 to 40 percent of the energy lost or gained, lost in the winter, gained in the summer, is from air leakage. So it makes a lot of sense to get the buildings as tight as we can. And in fact, one of the most important ways that buildings get wet is when that Air leaks, right? Because it's warm, moist air becoming colder. And when it becomes colder, it can condense. So, one of the ways that buildings get wet is through air leakage. So, you you can't make a building too tight. Now, can you make a building tight enough that you then have to introduce mechanical ventilation? Yes. And that's a really tough question, right? Why would I go to all the trouble to make a building tight if it means then I have to add an expense like a whole house mechanical ventilation system? And the answer to that is, well, yeah, but the mechanical ventilation system is going to give you fresh air from a dedicated pathway the right amount at the right time. In a house that's leaky, you pretty much get fresh air through cracks in the wall. You don't know when you're getting it. You don't know how much. So it is true that higher performance buildings need mechanical ventilation system, but it's basically a better value proposition if the occupants value indoor air quality. And, you know, we get a lot of clients who say, you know, I'm not too big on this green thing, you know, especially it's going to cost me more money. But if you ask them if if the indoor air quality is important, they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, my youngest child has asthma. I definitely want a home that's going to deliver better indoor air quality. This myth about walls need to breathe, it's a myth. And then I guess the third one that I get all the time is that green building is all about products. You know, one of the highest hits on our website is bamboo flooring. As if, wow, if I could just get bamboo flooring in this building, then I could make it green. And most of the ways that you make the environmental impact of a building less have little to do with products and have an awful lot to do with design and construction techniques. So I'm not saying products aren't important, but a lot of people equate green building with product selection. And if you hold off on greening your building until you're selecting products, you've probably missed about. 70 to 90% of the opportunities to reduce the environmental footprint of the building. Yeah, so those are my top three in terms of building myths about green.
0: I think those are great recommendations. I actually have been guilty of believing all three of those myths at some point in the past. Okay, let me put you on the spot for a second, kind of continuing this discussion. Can you give us three cost-effective economical opportunities that you see builders can take advantage of to build a better home.
1: So I'm gonna give you the three that I think are the strongest, and I'm gonna call them value propositions. So for overarching for all three of these, if you get into a dollar per square foot cost battle with your competition over high performance or green, you're bound to fail. The conversion we have to make is into making homes value propositions. No one buys a car, computer, or a cell phone based strictly on first cost. It's always about the value proposition of the product. So since homes are the most expensive, most long-lasting purchase anybody will ever make, why wouldn't we do it based on value and not just first cost? Because it's pretty easy to shift the conversation, I think, away from first cost if People think of their home as the delivery of high-performance services and not just cost per square foot. I had one high-performance builder, their, their salespeople said, if you're interested in cost per square foot, do you buy your car based on dollars per pound? So here are my top three. I think that energy bill guarantees are a great cost-effective value proposition for builders to consider. And a lot of builders, when I say this, are like, oh, my gosh, how in the world could I ever guarantee the energy bills for a building? Well, it turns out there's probably at least a half a dozen programs across the United States that are set up to do energy bill guarantees on builders' products, homes. It's not that difficult to do, especially when the energy bill guarantees are almost always set up to only cover heating and cooling. So they're basically energy bill guarantees for heating and cooling by factoring out the other loads when you don't have heating and cooling during the shoulder season. So basically most of the guarantees say heat and cool your home for X dollars per day or X dollars per month. And the reason I think the energy guarantees are important is because it's a delivery of performance to the consumer that's very easy for them to understand and really separates out the wheat from the chaff on the builder side because you can't guarantee the energy bills unless you have mastered and managed the building enclosure and the mechanical system integrated to that building enclosure. So it forces builders to understand how their building enclosure or building envelopes work, and how they need to be mated or matched to the mechanical systems. So there are builders all across the United States. The first builder ever to do an energy bill guarantee was a builder in Chicago. They, they offered their first building guarantee in 1983. That company, the builder, is... Now the son of the original builder is running the company. And 35 years later or thirty yeah, about thirty-five years later, the son is offering the same guarantee on every single home that his father did back 30, 35 years ago. And I know you're gonna ask me the builder's name and I can't remember it. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I can I can Bigelow homes. I pulled up by thinking of Perry in my head. That's the dad. He's been retired for quite a while now. The first builder to do energy bill guarantees was uh, Bigelow Homes in Chicago. So the second cost-effective solution, I think builders should be designing in plumbing cores. So what that means is that you lay out your home to cluster all of the rooms in the building that are going to require hot water. So that's your bathrooms, your kitchen, and your laundry room and also where you're going to locate the water heater for the building. So if you cluster those, you do a couple things. One is you really cut down on your plumbing costs quite a bit, right, because they're all clustered. But almost as important is there's an awful lot of hot water wasted by really long plumbing runs from the water heater to each of the draws. And one of the biggest complaints that builders get is, oh, man, i got to wait too long for hot water. A lot of people like turn on the hot water, go make their coffee, and then come back and use it. So it's really wasteful. It's a a comfort complaint that a lot of homeowners um, state. And it's actually cheaper, way cheaper to cluster those rooms. So you can cluster them back to back. You can stack them if you're building more than one-story building. And I have a lot of architects that say, oh, my gosh, you know that really limits design. A really good architect simply... Designs the best building they can, given the requirements of the owner or the customer. So architects and designers should take it as a design constraint. Design whatever you want, but one of my requirements as a builder or as a buyer is, I want you to cluster those rooms because of the benefits to cost, because of the benefits to water efficiency, and because of the benefits to you know, hot water comfort. So I think that's a cost-effective solution that relates to per- high performance. The third one is moving all of the HVAC ducts into conditioned space. A lot of builders, particularly production builders, say, oh man, if I pull my mechanical system inside conditioned space rather than throw it in the crawl space or the attic, I have to give up valuable floor space, right? People want comfort. People want efficiency. And it's not that difficult to design room for mechanical closets and for the ducts into conditioned space. I mean, it's pretty easy to do drop soffits. It's pretty easy to locate your mechanical system in a way that you get shorter runs of delivery. When we were in the Building America program at Building Science Corporation, we moved literally tens of thousands of homes over to much simpler mechanical delivery systems simply by making sure that the ducts are inside conditioned space. So it does require some creativity on the architect's or the designer's point of view. But it has a huge impact on thermal comfort and energy efficiency and can actually reduce the cost of the mechanical systems because you're making the system more centralized and simple. So those are my three top three cost effective high performance
0: solutions. Okay, I think a lot of us are going to be really interested in implementing at least one, possibly all three of those. I know I am with my company and we talk a lot about the differentiation and branding that's something that's really hard. It's hard to create separation as a builder because there's a ton of competition. That's one of the things that we really try to dig into with this podcast. So that energy bill guarantee beyond just accomplishing better builds, I really think that could be of benefit to a lot of us. So I'm going to offline get some links from you for each of those three recommendations that we can post in the show notes as well. Where do you see the building performance industry headed over the next five years what are we going to be seeing on the horizon
1: i'm doing a series of trainings now sort of driven by hanley woods events production but it's got key sponsors like huber zip wall and sarah pacific windows the energy Conservatory, it's a blower door company Delmhorse moisture meters is one of the sponsors and these are all high performance product manufacturers that are looking to integrate towards high performance And it's in no small part being driven by the 2015 energy code, which has requirements for three air changes per hour at 50 pascals pressure difference for blower doors. So the three ACH50 metric. I think that increasing air tightness requirements in the code are not going away. They're going to get more strict over time, and they are completely performance driven. So, you know, in the past, the code may have said, oh, you have to have air sealing details, but there was nothing that measured the effectiveness of those air sealing details. There is no way to fake 3ACH50 three three air tightness. So these trainings are helping builders and architects with, oh my gosh, how do I get the 3ACH50? I mean, we have high-performance builders that are down at 1ACH50. We have Passive House, which is down at 0.6 air changes per hour at 50 So we know we can do it. The question is, how do you do it and how do you move from relatively modest air sealing details to consistently hitting a performance metric, which is a fairly tight building? So I think that one of the things we're going to see in the next five years is the building industry as a whole learning how to truly do airtight construction because the codes are moving to a performance-based mandatory requirement. For that level of airtightness, so that's one thing that I think is going to happen in the next five years. The other thing is that there's a movement that takes the name of resilience, which is really looking at what are the natural disasters that are really becoming more prevalent in a lot of areas. So flood resistance, hurricane resistance, drought resistance, tornado, and and flooding. You know, we think of these as natural disasters. The increasing frequency of these events has certainly caught in the attention of the federal government, of the insurance industry. So I think in the next five years, we're gonna see more and more efforts to make our homes more resilient. And what that means is not only more durable in general, but better able to tolerate power outages, flooding events, high wind. So I think that both from customer interest and from the insurance industry, as well as the federal government, we're gonna be looking at making our buildings more resilient. And just like energy requirements are climate-tuned, Resilience measures are definitely tuned to what the highest exposure or natural disaster likelihood is for different areas of the country. So I think resilience is going to be a big issue that takes more prominence in our industry. And then the last big change is we can't build high-performance homes unless we can sell them. And a large part of selling them is making sure that they're valued properly, The financial sector, and when I say the financial sector, I mean realtors, appraisers, and lenders, they need to up their game on understanding the higher value of higher performance buildings. So, you know, if I'm going to put in a window that costs $10,000 more for the package for that building, and the appraiser doesn't know how to include that in the increased value of the building, and the realtor doesn't know how to sell, that better windows to a customer. And the bank doesn't know how to say, well, you you qualify for a, a higher loan value because you've put more money into the building. It's not going to happen. So the onus can't be on just the builders to build and then market and sell higher performance homes. We need the financial tools to go with that. So we need better trained realtors on high performance. We need appraisers that understand how to value performance in their appraisals. And then we need lenders who are willing to take the appraisal from the high performance appraiser and increase the loan amount because the building's more valuable. So I see the financial industry getting better at servicing high performance builders.
0: Well, I I can echo what you're saying right there. There is a really antiquated system that we have in place right now with valuing performance, high performance homes, and there's a huge opportunity to disrupt that industry and create something that's just more accurate in the appraisal process and the financing process. So that's encouraging to hear you say that, that those wheels are already in motion because I think we're a little late to the game in that it should have happened a long time ago. Good point. Peter, I have gotten a great deal of enjoyment and value out of following you guys at Building Green over the last year since I found you all. For those of us who don't already know where to find you guys on the web, tell us where we can go look for you. It's
1: pretty easy. It's just buildinggreen.com. Building Green is uh, all one word, two Gs. And then you and I talked about this before, but I, I do a lot of technical work with GreenBuildingAdvisor.com, which is a residentially focused information website. And that's pretty simple, too. It's just Green Building Advisor, all three words together. Look for good information on both those sites. In terms of my services consulting, you know, you can find that information on BuildingGreen.com.
0: Okay, great. We'll link to your websites as well in the show notes. Peter, really enjoyed this interview and hearing uh, some fascinating things that you had to share with us. Uh, Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jared. Nice talking with you.